Welcome to Failure to Launch, a podcast for brand managers, entrepreneurs, and innovators about how some of the biggest brand flops, failures, and fuck-ups have shaped our lives. My name's Sam. I'm a brand strategist, consultant, and a designer. And if you're in a business like mine, you'll often find yourself bombarded by stories of amazing brands that explode in growth. My question is, what happens when all of that hype turns to a disaster? So today we're doing part two of our podcast on LifeLock, and I'm joined today by Emma, who's typically my producer, but has joined me as a guest um, again. Hey, Emma, do you want to say hi to the audience? Hello, everybody. All right. Welcome back. Let's jump into it. In the course of the investigation, LifeLock was found to be hiding a pretty critical piece of information from its customers. Davis, who was the face of the campaign, had become the identity, the victim of identity theft at least 13 times over following the campaign. Oh, dear. Phoenix New Times reporter Ray Stern has done a huge amount of the heavy lifting, and I'm going to reference his reporting here multiple times. He dug up a dozen examples of fake Todd Davis's uh, popping up around the country and racking up debts. Apparently, the first signs of trouble were when someone used uh, Todd Davis information to obtain a $500 loan from a check cashing company. So it's like a payday loan kind of thing. Uh, Davis only discovered the crime when the company called his wife's uh, mobile phone to recover the unpaid debt. Months later, someone in Albany, Georgia, uh, had opened up an AT&T account using Davis' uh, social security number, which resulted in $2,390 in charges to the mobile, um, which Davis only discovered a year later when the outstanding debt on the account was handed off to a collection agency and a note appeared on his credit report. Oh, no, it's happening again. <laughs> He's going to have the police knocking on his door soon. <laughs> oh, that was that was his partner, Minard, uh, Davis. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Apparently, Davis had then discovered an additional seven fraudulent accounts that had been opened up with his personal information, uh, so there were bank accounts, each with outstanding debts. There was an unpaid Verizon bill in New York for at least $186, a delinquent Centerpoint Energy account for $122. There was amounts owed on Credit One Bank worth $500, Swiss Colony $300. There was five collection agencies who were seeking other sums from accounts that were opened in Davis' names, including Bay Area Credit, which was $260, Associated Credit Services, um, which had two different amounts, both in sort of the $200 range, and Enhanced Recovery Corporation, which had a $250 and a $381 uh, outstanding debt. The Phoenix New Times summed it up as follows, quote, the main thing we're wondering is how at this point anyone would trust LifeLock at all. LifeLock and Davis kept the damaging facts about the identity thefts hidden from their customers, even after the FTC had dinged the company for $12 million for deceptive advertising. The quote continues, quote, LifeLock didn't merely fail to disclose crucial information about the quality of its identity theft protection service. How, as it could have been predicted, it lied about Davis' experiences in identity theft. Until earlier this month, LifeLock's website stated that Davis had only been the victim of once, and the company only removed these claims after inquiries from the New Times. Yeah, I'm shaking my head. I mean, that's pretty bad, isn't it? They they waved a f- red flag at a bull when they put their social security number up and said, you can't catch me. And some people have thought, yeah, I can. And they've gone and done it. Yeah. I think part of the problem is 
as said in that quote. It's not just that they did the crazy stunt, which got them a lot of attention, and then there was real outcomes from that stunt that were quite bad. It's the fact that they concealed it and then lied about how often it it had occurred, showing, you know, it is in direct confrontation with how effective they said their product was. Mm. But it feels like maybe you need to start making an apology to her at that point. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And definitely pull that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And pull the ads. Pull, pull it down off the website. <laughs> That's the easiest thing in the world to do. <laughs> Uh, in response, Davis put a statement to Computer World, which was a website which I'm uh, drawing a source from, and said, quote, um, in the Computer World article, Davis said via email that there had been hundreds of attempts to use his personal information in a fraudulent manner since 2005. All but 13 of those attempts were unsuccessful. <laughs> I like his rationale. <laughs> Personally, I'm not really sure I was robbed 13 times. It makes for a very good slogan. <laughs> He's a salesman, right? <laughs> He's just trying to do a better job. I mean, not wrong. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, pretty clear case of the marketing um, maybe not living up to the product. Uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect. But, uh, Emma, if only that mm. were where the trouble stopped. Oh, no. Following the initial spike of interest in the company, Phoenix New Times began uh, looking into the company and its other founder, Robert Minard. According to a report by Phoenix New Times, Minard had an uh, early credit repair business that was shut down in the 1990s due to false advertising and deceptive practices. So a credit repair com company is where you get bad credit, you know, maybe you haven't repaid some loans, you get dinged, you get um, a, a worse credit score. As a result, he was prohibited from ever returning to the industry or working with any anti-identity theft company. So he was barred from the industry. Okay, alarm bells are going off. Something's gone. How's this happened? Yeah, I mean, he, he has co-founded a company in an industry that he's not allowed to work in. <laughs> yeah, and how did they get around that? Not sure. In 2005, American Express sued Minard's father... For unpaid bills, but the father denied ever ordering the card. He eventually settled with the company, and Minard Jr., the, the son, had then ended up with $170,000 in debt to American Express listed on his 2005 bankruptcy paperwork. His father was named as the co-debtor. So it's unclear whether Minard Jr. had used his father's information to order the card without his knowledge, but from the article in Phoenix New Times, quote, if Minard Jr. had ordered the card using his dad's data without his knowledge, that would make him, mm. you got it, an identity thief. Do, 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 the plot thickens. <laughs> I, guess, I guess they say do what you love um, in, in terms of your career. If you really love uh, dealing with identity theft, then maybe you have a really good insight on how it can be stopped. Yeah. This is, wow, this has taken a turn. Yeah, it does get darker. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I need to know what happened. So which way did he go? I mean, do you admit that it was you that, that stole from your dad? Or do you admit that you knew you had this outstanding debt of $170,000? I mean, what do you do? Well, the New York... The Phoenix New Times said that eventually the father came out and uh, was on the side of his son, but he didn't expand on it at all. Um, there, there was just a, a bit of a, a 
a lull in conversation and it was handed, handled privately between the two. Okay, so he obviously steal his identity and his dad's just covering his ass. I mean, that would be an astute observation. <laughs> the Phoenix New Times article reported that Minard had filed for bankruptcy twice and was being investigated by the FTC for deceptive business practices that is then related to the previous company he had founded. So he's completely barred from returning to the industry in any capacity. Following the publication of Phoenix Times, Phoenix New Times article, LifeLock's board of directors then launched an investigation into Minard's past. And while they found no evidence that Minard had committed any illegal acts while at LifeLock, which personally, okay, except the crime that he wasn't even meant to be in the industry at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just forget to mention that one. Um, they did uncover some discrepancies in his educational background that were included in his biography on the company's website. The company removed the false information from the website and issued a public apology for the mistake, and then shortly after, Minard resigned from LifeLock. In a statement, he acknowledged that his past had become a distraction for the company and that he did not want to put its success at risk. Okay, he's sounding like a big fat liar. <laughs> uh, he sounds like he'd be hard to trust in this particular case, yes. Yeah. Um, just despite the controversy surrounding Minar's departure, LifeLock continued to grow, expand its offerings, and the company raised additional funding that then expanded its customer base and it acquired a range of other companies uh, in the identity theft protection space. In 2015, the FTC found LifeLock to be in contempt of the 2010 agreement, charging that they, quote, failed to establish and maintain a comprehensive information security program and, quote, falsely advertised it was protecting consumers' sensitive data. They are not learning their lesson here. This is the repeat of what they went through in 2002. This time, the FTC obtained a $100 million monetary penalty against LifeLock to settle the contempt charge. What? Of that of that fine, 68 million was then held for a class action um, for refunds to LifeLock customers. My goodness, all of a sudden 12 million's not sounding so bad. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, while Todd Davis, the remaining uh, co-founder, won the Ernst Young, Entre- Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2009, in 2016, Davis then resigned as CEO of LifeLock. Uh, He did, however, stay in as the executive vice chairman of the board of directors before LifeLock was eventually sold in February 2017. LifeLock was acquired by Symantec for $2.3 billion, which was then sold on to become Norton LifeLock in November 2019 and then changed the name to Gen Digital Inc. in 2022. In the same year, the company began offering versions of its Norton 360 subscription service with LifeLock included. In December 2022, getting really close to the current day, LifeLock's uh, servers were uh, hit with a a digital attack and over 6,000 user accounts had their details disclosed, including names, addresses, and phone numbers. And the method of attack that was used to uh, hit the credentials was unrelated to previous breaches. So uh, this resulted in a large number of failed login attempts in 2022. And then notifications of the breach were sent in January 2023, so about a month later. So the company's still around and it's doing really well. 
<laughs> and they sold it for what did you say? Something something billion. All I heard was billion. Two point three billion. Even though they've done all these wrongdoings and misled people and shouldn't have even started the business in the first place because he wasn't allowed to. They still made two point three billion. Fail upwards, baby. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what do they say? Fail forward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robert Minard Jr., he landed on his feet. Um, of course. He's a cat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He founded uh, SearchX, a fintech company that helped businesses push credit card merchant processing fees back onto customers. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Which I think I hate him more for than anything else he's done because – God, I, I hate mean, they don't let life get them down, do they? They just keep <laughs> on going. They just reinvent themselves. Uh, as with many businesses that Minard had his hand in over the years, uh, SearchX collapsed. Dozens of people were burned in the process. Uh, people lost mm. their jobs and an estimated $8 million of investor cash uh, disappeared. What's more <laughs> was, remember how he was arrested in Vegas for a debt that had inspired his creation for LifeLock? Well, it turns out Minard yeah. did spend a week in jail in 2003 because of an unpaid $16,000 casino debt, but it was his debt. The casino had <gasps> taken a copy of his driver's license when he took out the loan. There was no identity theft. Oh, my God. The whole thing was built on a lie. Yeah. Oh, I feel robbed just listening to this story. Oh, my goodness. This guy's just a con man. No, he's a very successful businessman. <laughs> no, he's a very successful con man. <laughs> oh, my God, the whole premise of the business was built on a lie. I mean, it's, I can't, you can't say it's genius. Let's. It is clever. It's clever marketing. It's the worst type of marketing. It, I hate it so much, but at the well, same maybe time. maybe this didn't fail then. Maybe this should be looked at as like a case study of what to do, not what not to do. Yeah. This episode was definitely a different one. I had no idea how crazy this was when I started. I, I originally heard about uh, LifeLock from one of those top 10 lists and then digging into it, it is just an absolute shitstorm of insanity. Wow. Um, so, Emma, which part failed? <laughs> oh, well, now I don't even know if I'd classify it as failed. If you sold your company for $2.3 billion, I'm thinking you're a winner, not a failure. But... Looking at it from a marketing perspective, I mean, they clearly failed on their promotion. You can't go running around making false claims. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big thing. Um, it kind of all spiraled from there, really. Yeah. I, I do think the ad was, well, well, it was clever, except it was misleading. <laughs> so you have to put that down to a failure. Yeah. I think... <laughs> Part of it comes down to being able to deliver on the promise. So when you're positioning a brand, you typically ask three questions. You say, uh, is this something that the audience wants? Identity theft protection, that's something the audience wants. So we can we can put that down as a yes. Uh, is this something that's distinct or different from the competitors? The way they advertised it, the way they went out, the boldness of that advertising was a big yes. Mm. Um, and then the last question, which is pretty critical in this case, is can we deliver on this promise? Mm. And that was a big no. Yeah. With everything else they were doing that was so strong, I could see that they could get sucked into the story that, yes, we can do that. Oh, my God. Like, we definitely can. We founded this company. We know what we're doing. We can deliver on that. 
what they didn't account for is the fact that they're a bunch of liars. Mm. Um, they they had no idea that they were going to get found out. But that failure to deliver on the promise is a really critical failure in my head. Mm. I agree. It was very clever, the campaign that they went out with, though, like going out onto the street, shouting about it. Yeah, as you say, making it into a stunt, making it into an activation like that, something that's so far outside of that category typically. Like that's what you see in the last movie or, you know, that that's not what you see for, for, for identity theft companies or banks or anything, which... Yeah, and really ahead of the game. I, I, I remember when NAB rebranded recently, National Australia Bank, recently mm. being 2008 maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, when they rebranded, they did a bunch of stunts. You know, they, they took uh, a helicopter out and like hung it in front of the Combank um, with a giant billboard that was hanging from it. And then they recorded that. There was a stunt. They filmed it. It got press. It was an exciting ad. The difference is that NAB weren't set up by thieves and liars just <laughs> 10 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yes, you're right. Yeah. Mm. I, I think yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. I, I think the advertising was so strong and it was so powerful, but that mm. misalignment. And there was a problem and that, like they had the solution. They were telling people what the problem was and then providing the solution before people had probably... Some people have probably even come to terms with the fact that their identity could be stolen. Like remembering this is back pre-2006, like we mentioned earlier, how much stuff were you really doing online that you were at risk of having um, fraudulent activity happening anyway? So they were only like pushing that fear factor to then swoop in and be like, oh, but don't worry, we're the heroes. We're here to save the day. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody online wanted my uh, emo MySpace photos. Yeah, I certainly wasn't putting that up yet. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining. Did you learn anything new? Oh, a lot. Don't trust these people. Don't trust them. <laughs> and no, if, was- if we can walk away with any lesson, that's the one I want us to walk away with. No, <laughs> really. Tell the audience at home what you've been working on, where they can find out more about your work. Oh, yes, I forgot about this bit. Um, fluid.au and also our LinkedIn, Fluid Branding, is where you can find us. Um, at the moment, we're doing some really exciting projects with BHP, with Melbourne Water, um, and a brand identity for Casey Cadinia Library. So you can head on over to the website soon and check out. Awesome. Check out. Uh, if you want to know anything more about what we spoke about today, uh, check out the show notes or visit fluid.au to find out more about what I've been working on. Uh, Join us next time on Failure to Launch when we look at another spectacular launch that ended in one of the world's biggest flops, failures and fuck-ups that have shaped our lives. The opinions and views expressed on Failure to Launch belong to the individual speaking and do not represent the official views of Fluid Branding.